This is the Jocko Underground Podcast number 23. Sitting here with, again, with Echo Charles. Echo Charlie, as they say. Sure. <laughs> I wanted to talk, speaking of, speaking of laughing and just chuckling about stuff, I want to talk about a different kind of emotion that we sometimes feel. Mm-hmm. Frustration. Yeah. Anger or annoyance. Frustration. The definition of fr- frustration is anger or annoyance by your own inability to either achieve something or change something. That's what frustration is. Again, I've, I've started to pay attention to when I'm talking to clients, when I'm dealing with people, I'm starting to pay attention to what's happening to them. You know, the last one we talked about, balance, and I see when I deal with people and I talk to people and I coach people through certain situations, I see them getting out of balance is a, it, 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 it trips people up mm-hmm. or jams people up as you know, sure. as you like to say, yeah. uh, this is another one. People get frustrated. What's, what's interesting about the frustration is look, you can get frustrated with people for sure, but you can also get frustrated with inanimate objects. I know the, the running joke in my family is that I get frustrated with, uh, Printers, number sure. one. Printers, mm-hmm. number one, or whatever. But it's it's uh, it's all kind of in, in jest. So, but when I see when I see it impacting people, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about it, so we can look at what do we do with it, right? Mm-hmm. It's a thing. It's a real thing. We have to utilize it. Actually, um, one thing that we realize when we get frustrated you're not gonna do any better by allowing the frustration to, to impact the way you're behaving. Mm. Doesn't help. The anger that you're feeling, the frustration that you're feeling is not gonna help you get any smoother, it's not gonna get, help you get any better, it's not gonna help you overcome that problem, it's not gonna help you interact with that person so you can change their mind. All those things are bad. All those things are bad. So we can't allow this to impact us. We have to, we, we have to, contend with what we've got we had to work with it so I, I would say one of the uh, I started getting frustrated the other day <laughs> sure dang sorry yeah started getting frustrated the other day what happened was and I, the reason I can I want to talk about this is because I started getting frustrated and then I this is how I over I'm gonna talk about how I overcame the frustration mm. I was 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 had a late night I was up too late. I had actually decided like, okay, you know what? It's 1.30 in the morning right now. I'm not gonna get up at 4.30. I'm gonna you know, sleep until whatever, probably six. So I did that. So got up at six, and which is pretty rare for me, but look, if you're gonna get three hours of sleep, that's a negative. That's, a, it's not, that's not a good move, right? Mm-hmm. You may have to at some point, but it wasn't a good, wouldn't have been a good move in this situation. Sleep until six, cool. So I sleep until six, six, 15, something like this. Get up, get out of bed, put my workout gear on. Well, what's interesting is now at six o'clock in the morning, I'm not alone in the house, right? My wife's downstairs. So now when I go downstairs, I'm ready to work out, but you know, my wife's gonna be saying hi, you know, going through the, the morning procedures of hello. And as, as you and I talked about on the last underground, um, you know, we have to remember that relationships are part of the path. So, hey, my wife's kind of stoked that I'm talking to her. It's early in the morning. She's up. I'm up, you know. So what do I do? I spend 15 minutes talking about whatever things, you know, we're hanging out for a little bit. Cool. So now it's probably more than 20 minutes. So now it's like pushing 645, 7 o'clock, right? But now I get up to the garage gym. And I chalk up, it's pull-up day, so I'm gonna be doing pull-ups, I'm gonna be doing muscle-ups. Oh, so I start my, my warm-up routine, stretching a little warm-up routine, I'm doing a couple, I hang on the bar for a little bit, then I do like a one pull-up, two pull-ups. I'm, I'm to like my first warm-up set. Mm. So it's been 10 minutes, mm-hmm. no, maybe not 10 minutes, it's been five minutes. Enrolls my son. Mm-hmm. To the gym, so normally I'm done. That's kind of our little unwritten rule. 
I've got until seven, you know, right? Uh, You know, so I'm up at 4.30, I'm in the gym by five, you know, I'm working out, doing whatever, stretching, get done by seven, you know, all things normal. I'm done, he's in there, and he's not alone because he's got his his little crew that he lifts with and trains with. Well, they come rolling in, they're already, they've already been working out. So they went for a run or something, they went up to the track and did sprints, so now they're back, now they're there too finish off leg day by the way mm. so uh you know he's like are you almost done mm. but he's kind of looking at me with a tilted head because he sees that i'm not dripping with sweat right. so he's like are you are you almost done and i go no i you know i just started and he goes well he's like can can we work out first? Can we work out right now? And I'm like, what do you have? Because I figured if they're doing something, maybe they're doing kettlebells, we could kind of get it done. I could use yeah. the pull bar. He's like, squats. And I go. Now, meanwhile, I knew I had some editing to do. Like, just I was going to do a quick edit on something for Echelon Front. I was like, cool. And I got, had text from Leif, and he's like, hey, can you take a look at this? I'm like, yep, absolutely. So I go, you know what? I'm going to go. You know, I said, hey, go ahead. You, I go, how long do you need? He's like, an hour. This is my son, an hour. I said, cool. So he's he goes and starts, um, he's working out. So I figured, you know what? I'm going to go take a look at this document that Leif sent me. So I go, st- start going through that. And all of a sudden, well, as I'm doing that, I get another, I get Jamie sends me. So, hey, can you take a look at this? So I'm like, okay. So now I'm editing. Now I was just going to edit it short. Now I'm looking at a longer document. Now there's a couple sections that are highlighted for me to look at. But as I change one of them, now I got to go. Now all of a sudden I'm rewriting stuff instead of just editing. Mm-hmm. But I, at the moment, this is where the frustration came in. So now I'm kind of pissed that I haven't worked out yet. And oh, yeah. And like also, I had a phone call. Not a scheduled phone call, but like an unscheduled phone call that was not an emergency, but a scenario that needed to be dealt with. So now I'm talking through this for 38 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, because I was thinking, look, I'll, I'll still be able to get just jump down in the gym, by whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so now I realize I got more work to do. And as I realize that as I look at this document, that I'm going to have to rewrite some stuff. And it's not just an edit, but it's a rewrite. Mm-hmm. I have a moment of like, damn it. <laughs> Like, damn it, like, yep. I I didn't sign up for this today, right? I had <laughs> plans, right? And there's a frustration level. There's a frustration. Okay. For, you, right? I get Little frustration. Like, yep. this, this is one, it was not what I was, yeah. this was not on the agenda, <laughs> right? So I have this little bit of frustration creeps up. And look, I don't get frustrated very easily, yeah. but I had just a little bit, because now I'm missing a workout. I was up, was still, even though I, even though I woke up a little bit later, I still was only operating on like four and a half, five hours worth of sleep. So I'm, I'm mad. I'm frustrated about that. I'm frustrated about my son being in the gym when I should be in there. I mean, I had chalk on my hands. Like there's a certain protocol in the world that shouldn't be violated and it was. And now this document that I was gonna, you know, you think, oh, can you take a look at this document? Cool. You're thinking four, seven, maybe 10 minutes. Now I'm starting to, re- now I'm looking, I gotta rewrite stuff. So the frustration level starts to escalate. And as soon as I felt that, I was like, cool, you know what? Boom, get to work. That's, that's literally what I said. I said, you know what, get to work. I just let that frustration just let it go, man. And I got to work. That's my point, is that frustration can really end up being more of a distraction than anything else, where you start getting frustrated about something and it's making you mad and it's turns more. It turns whatever you're doing worse. Makes whatever you're doing worse. You want to hear a funny story? Yeah. <laughs> so, Leif Babin and I, sure. we are at the muster in New York City, and again, this was our second muster. It's our first muster out in New York City. There's things happened. We failed to plan certain things. We didn't do things in the smoothest possible way. We Mm -hmm. underestimated the time it would take for things. There's a bunch of mistakes that we made Mm -hmm. that we had to deal with. And by the way, there's the muster starts at 4.45 in the morning for the the attendees, and it ends at, you know, 6 o'clock at night, day one, and it's the same thing on day two. That's what the attendees are going to see. Mm-hmm. Right when you're at when someone attends the muster, that's what they're going to see. 
they don't see what happens in the hours in between those things. But mm-hmm. but at this particular muster, the New York was the worst muster from a logistic standpoint for a whole bunch of different whole bunch of reasons, all of which are on me because you know, we're running the mustard echelon front and so when things aren't right, there's only one person to blame. But that's where we're at. So one of the things we have to do is sign certificates of graduation. Right? Sure. Like, hey, everyone's going. So we're so for whatever multitude of reasons, it's it's like one o'clock in the morning. Two I think it's actually I think it's actually two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. We are gonna go PT at three thirty in the morning. Yeah. And Leif and I have got a stack of 850. There's 850, I think, attendees at the muster, and we've got to sign 850 of these certificates. Everyone else is asleep, so it's sometimes it makes, I know it might sound diva-ish, but if you have to sign a bunch of stuff and someone's helping you, it makes it a lot easier, right? There's someone put in front of you, there's someone taking it away and passing it to Leif, and so we can get it done in one-third of the time. Yeah. If you have someone helping you, because think about it, you got to, the things are sticking together. There's all these oh, issues. Yeah. That makes sense. So, so we start signing these things. Mm. So I'm just signing. I'm 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 just signing them. Boom, boom, boom. Mm. And and Leif, he starts going. Some of these are doubles, meaning that whatever like attendee, for whatever reason, there was two certificates for a certain attendee, yeah. or, and then all of a sudden he's like, these are this is a triplicate. I already said he's looking to see. Like hey, I've seen this guy's name. We they didn't. These things aren't sorted out right. And of course, bro. I mean, it's two o'clock in the morning or whatever. Yeah. Tired, hungry, hangry, hey. and Leif is getting so frustrated. <laughs> and my point is, he was getting frustrated, and it was making it ten times more miserable for him. Yeah. I was actually getting a little bit of. <laughs> I was kind of chuckling about the fact that he was getting super frustrated about it because because here's the thing I was in a totally different zone I was in the zone of like cool this sucks we're doing it and I'm just not even looking at the names I'm just signing boom 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 and I, and I can hear him sign 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 dude we've already signed Bill Smith this is ridiculous I'm like yep dude I know it sucks boom 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 he you know and then then it's it's We've we've signed three times more certificates than we needed to, so it was funny. Uh, and it's one of those things, though, because my point in telling that story, besides the fact that it's funny, and we we always we always laugh when we tell that story. But the reason it's what what's painful about it is we are doing something that doesn't that's not truly painful, right? Yeah. Like it sucks that we're up late and all that, but it's not gonna. It wasn't going. We weren't gonna do a bad job. Like you have to write your name on a piece of paper. Like we were gonna get that done. Mm-hmm. But if it had been something that's more, uh, that requires more mental acuity or something that's gonna require more uh, wherewithal to get through, yeah. it's gonna be a lot harder when you're frustrated about something that is completely beyond your control. By the way, at this point. Look, it's it's our fault that it happened because we should have done a better job screening. Cool, we take ownership of that and we'll get it fixed in the future. Yeah. But for right now, doesn't matter. There's there's literally nothing you can do about it. Zero, yeah. other than get frustrated and get mad, and it's just going to make the whole situation worse. So, go into that mode you, when you start feeling frustrated. When you feel that frustration. Don't let it start to drag you down the anger, the annoyance road Mm -hmm. because it's not beneficial in any way. Instead, go into execution mode, say, cool, I'm frustrated, got it, and start to do what you got to do to get the problem solved. Execution mode. Execution mode. It's really good because... (laughs) I can imagine Leif. I can imagine how he feels. That's the thing. Yeah. And to see, you know, Leif, because, you know, we love him. It's, you know, him acting like that is, is funny to me. Yeah. Maybe not at the time, but, yeah, that is a funny story. Yeah, even at the time I was kind of, I mean, and here's the thing. I didn't want to, like, laugh out loud because then it would have been, like, you would have So we're just, I mean, I think I chuckled a couple. I was like, hey, bro, nothing we can do about it now, you know. And he's like, yeah. So it's, it's uh, definitely... Execution mode is a good place to go if you start feeling yourself getting frustrated. I think sometimes frustration turns into procrastination, right? Yeah. Like this is, you know, you can get really mad about something because it's not quite the way you wanted it. 
and instead of just do going into execution mode, which is by the way the best possible thing you can do. Best, yeah. The best possible thing you can do is just execute. Mm. That's what you can do. Yeah. So do it. Yeah, like you know how, you know, like when you're, I don't know, building, taking something apart, you un- unscrewing something or whatever, and then you keep like, let's say the screw is at an angle, mm-hmm. you know, that you can't quite get the perfect angle, and you're trying to do it, so it's like this weird balance. You gotta like put enough pressure to unscrew it, but you don't want to strip the mm-hmm. screw, you know, it's like that, and you keep doing it, you keep doing it, and it won't work like that kind of stuff or whatever. You get frustrated with that. Mm-hmm. Overtly, like with your uh, behavior, that'll jam you up mm. big okay. time. So, it, and I've done that before, where you get frustrated, and you go, oh, and you like, I don't know, you hit the ground, or I don't know, yeah, some yeah, some yeah, behavior, yeah, yeah. right? Meanwhile, that screw's looking right at you, like, oh, still unscrewed, by unscrewed. the way. <laughs> It's still going to get just as stripped if you don't focus, you know. So, yeah, and then when, if you can find it's like this weird little threshold mentally that you got to, like, keep yourself from crossing. Mm-hmm. And you can just execute. Right? <laughs> it's crazy Check. Deal. All right, what do we got for qu- for questions this evening? Uh, first question. Jocko, in your opinion, do you think the military is following the same post-war bureaucratic bullshit addressed by Hackworth in About Face? Why do you like that book so much? Because it's demotivated the hell out of me. I'm preparing for a tryout with Army SF, and it's made me rethink if it's still my calling or old or old childhood dreams of glory on the battlefield. Yeah, I mean, I, first of all, just out of the gate, I would say if you're rethinking um, Army SF, then it's probably not, it's probably not just not what you're looking for. You know, like, especially if, you know, the, <laughs> I, I would just be careful, you know, because it, childhood dreams and glory on the battlefield, and yet there's a, a hesitation due to, you know, some of the bureaucratic stuff. The, the military is filled with bureaucratic stuff. It's the, it's the most bureaucratic organization in the world. It, always has been and it always will be and if that's going to frustrate you or if the thought of that frustrates you it's probably it's probably not a great call to think that in the trying moments of selection you're going to want to push through when sort of reading a book has made you not reconsider wanting to push through so just just a heads up on that um and in my opinion, is the military following the same post-war bureaucratic bullshit? Yeah, it is. Peacetime military is different than wartime military. That's a fact. That's the way it has been. That's the way it always will be. Because there's two different things happening. When there's a war going on, there's a lot more at stake. You can throw a lot of the bureaucratic bullshit out the window. Not all of it. Believe me, you want to talk about frustration, let's get you know talk to Leif Babin when he's writing a 12-page Word document for a concept of operations in the Battle of Ramadi. That, is, that some, is that enough bureaucratic bullshit? This is Leif Babin, a platoon commander in the SEAL teams in a freaking combat situation, and he's writing a 12-page document that then I am going to sit there and go through with a fine-tooth grammar comb to make sure that it's formatted correctly. That's during war. That's, that's during war, that's what's happening. So when you take the war out of it, the bureaucratic stuff increases even more. That's what's going to happen. There's more bureaucratic chicken shit, bullshit, whatever you wanna call it. So check, that's what it is. Um, that's a normal cycle. That's a, that's a normal cycle. I, when I got to the SEAL teams, the big Gulf War had just ended. It didn't last really long, but we could feel a little bit of that. I felt a little bit of the, the kind of like, hey, war. We were just at war. I, look, I, a slight amount of it. You could see there was still a little bit of, a little bit of get away with a little bit for a little bit, you know? Yeah. But then real quick, it tightened up. And then it became, you know, very bureaucratic, and it is very bureaucratic. And when... 9-11 happened, it was like the bureaucratic shit went out the window. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Met much of the bureaucratic stuff took a, went on the back burner. It didn't go out the window, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, we just had a couple sea wolves on, the pilots in Vietnam, and, and they were, uh, John Farr was saying, 
that that unit was the last of like the World War II pilot aircrew mentality of like, we don't give a shit, we're gonna make it happen, which is probably about as accurate a statement as you can get. I'm not in the aviation community, but you can see where he's coming from because there are rules and there are regulations and that's the way the military works. So should you still go in? And look, maybe I've misinterpreted your kind of statement and maybe SF is, you know, maybe you're gonna go for it. Let me rephrase that. If SF is what you wanna do, what you truly wanna do, then worrying about the bureaucratic bullshit is, is a bad reason not to go in. Because it's always been there, everyone's dealt with it, I dealt with it, Hackworth dealt with it. You name the person, they've dealt with it. If they've been in the military, they've dealt with it. And you, and you know what? If you're a freaking warrior, the military needs you to be in there to call the bullshit when it happens, when it's, when it's necessary. Am I saying don't go in there and play the game? No, I'm not saying that at all. When you go in there and play the game, go in there and play the game. I played the game. You want me to write a document, 10 pages for a concept of operation? Yep, it's done. We're doing it. That's what we're doing. You want me to send out a force list with each person's serialized weapon before we go on an operation? Yep, that's cool. We're doing it. We're doing it. That's a total bureaucrat. We're doing it. Total bureaucracy. We're doing it. You want me to send you a serialized inventory of our night vision goggles after each operation? Cool, got it, yep, we'll do it. Is it bureaucratic? It absolutely is. So I'll play the game. This doesn't mean that you abandon your thought process. This doesn't mean you abandon the goal. It doesn't mean that when I was in charge, I didn't do everything I could to protect my guys from this bureaucratic bullshit, if it made sense. And if you do that correctly, if you play the game correctly, you can get yourself into a position of leadership and influence where you can take care of a platoon. You can take care of a a, a task unit or a troop. Or you can take care of an ODA or an ODB. You can do it. And you can make the world good for the guys that work for you. Whether you end up becoming an officer, whether you end up becoming a, an NCO, a senior NCO in one of those groups. So you're not going to escape bureaucratic bullshit in the U.S. military or really any military in the world. It's the way it is. But for me, what, suck it up. It's just the whole thing we just talked about with Leif. Like me and Leif play the game. Play the game. Cool. I'm not going to sit around and get frustrated. We're going to figure out what we got to do to win. That's what we're going to do. So that would be my recommendation. That's my opinion. Why do I like the book so much? Because the book is completely, well, I guess the easiest way to answer that is read the forward by Jocko Willink if you want to know why I like the book about faith so much. Because the lessons that I took away from that book changed my life. That's why. And helped me lead in horrible situations and help me take those leadership lessons and pass them on to other people so they could go lead. That's why I like that book so much. Anything else? I, Check. <clears throat> no, Good. not really. The, <clears throat> actually, I have, a, I have a small experience, not with the military, obviously, mm-hmm. but, okay, so you know when you make videos? Mm-hmm. Still Wait, used to? Still do sometimes. So... So the first video I ever made for money was for you. Or should I say with you? Yeah. And then the second video I ever made for money was for you. Check. Or for victory or whatever. But nonetheless, the transaction was pretty simple. Like the kind like, oh, yeah, well, sure, it costs this much. Okay, cool. Make the video. Made the video. And they gave me money. Cool. No forms. Mm-hmm. No, you know, SAT test. Nothing. No, nothing. No filing of paperwork of any kind. Mm-hmm. And then so later on, as time went on or whatever, um, you know, I got a, what, what should I call him, like a legitimate, no, you're a legitimate client, but let's just say a more squared away client. We'll say. So I'm not squared away? Negative. <laughs> as a client? No. So I'm, let me try and help you find the right word. Uh-huh. You had a client that 
what you were working with on a strictly professional level. Yes. And with me, it wasn't professional level. It's like, right. hey, bro, can yeah, you do this? Yeah, yeah I can do that, exactly. probably. Cool, <laughs> no, sounds good enough for me. Yeah, barely did it. Um, but yeah, yeah, like professional, you know, they had a process for everything. Um, they had this guy in this department that I had to check in with and give them information about this and that. And then this other guy for tax purposes and this, you know, it was straight up bureaucracy, mm-hmm. comparatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Right. And I wasn't used to that kind of stuff. I'm, I don't deal with that. guy. I've been doing this for years. I don't got to deal with this kind of stuff. Just make the video. You yeah. do the, that paperwork part. That's not my job. Yeah. That's, you know, someone else. I don't know who's, but not mine. That's what I kind of had in my mind, you know. But as time goes on and you start to get used to that stuff, um, actually going back to your intro, like not getting frustrated and being like, okay, this is part of the new process. Boom, execution, boom, boom, do it. Not only did I get used to it, but I got good at it and it just sort of became part of what we're doing, right? And then so, <clears throat> so I start to think like, okay, this is how legitimate professional businesses and companies that are big and squared away and like, professional this is how they operate and it's for a reason too mm-hmm. right and kind of like how you explain with leaf in the paperwork or whatever mm-hmm. like hey you got to understand what this why we got to do this paperwork and yeah. you explain it. it's like okay because these big operations that's how they work and that's how they work so well right so that's the kind of thought i had like huh interesting so if you're going to deal with for lack of a better term a professional squared away big group of people company whatever like this not only is it's not just part of it. It's a necessity. Yeah. It's how it functions. Yeah. Look, is there less bureaucracy in special operations? Sure, there is. Is there less op- less bureaucracy in special operations during wartime? Yes, there is. Is there bureaucracy in special operations in wartime? Yes, there is. It's the reality of the situation. Yeah. Next question. Hello, gentlemen. I'm a part of a leadership team that leads a small church in Ukraine. Our pastor recently stepped down, so we're without a head right now. It's been that way since July of 2020. I like to be aggressive in my decision-making and usually operate by the principle that a good plan today is better than a great plan tomorrow, as you can always adjust when new contingencies arise. The rest of the team doesn't operate that way, and I've gotten a bad rap for pushing too hard or or expecting too much from them i'm looking for general principles on how to lead with within a group of equals we literally have no head no leader so i'm not always sure if extreme ownership is the right way to go when i exercise it too much they thought i was trying to take the position of the pastor and took me as an upstart upstart yeah i mean someone that's like trying to move you know yeah trying to get it yeah 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 i'm getting frustrated there it is, frustration right there. I'm getting frustrated, especially with our inability to make both tactical and strategic decisions in a timely manner. I feel like we're turning into a bureaucracy. There's another bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. So you can see the, the whole principle and setup of this whole question. Right? Yeah. The whole setup of this question is to, for me to affirm the behavior, um, you know, like... I I like to be aggressive. Yeah, Jocko, what does Jocko like to do? Jocko says be aggressive, right? Mm-hmm. Literally says default aggressive is in a book. So yeah. we're good to go there. Um, I usually operate, hey, operations, right? That's kind of a good, we're, we're just in the Jocko zone here. Uh, a good plan today is better than a great plan tomorrow, right? Oh, that's, well, that's actually Jocko quoting Patton. That's what Patton says. Mm-hmm. We're down, Jocko likes Patton, Patton. We're, jo- we're in the Jocko zone here. Mm-hmm. You can always adjust when new contingencies rise. That's Jocko, right? So we're down. We get it, bro. Yeah. This guy's, you know, we're we're in full support. We're on the same side. We're on Good. the same team. Matter of fact, the rest of the team doesn't operate that way like us, like we do. Well, we kind of adjust when contingencies arise. We kind of... Uh, Good plan today. We are aggressive in our decision making. This is all the good stuff that we do, right? Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, the team give me a bad rap because I push too hard. Right? right? I push too hard because you know how it is. You know, when you're freaking default aggressive, gotcha. you go out and make stuff happen. So this is Team Jocko coming at you live. This is the setup that we got. Mm. I'm looking for general principles on how to lead within a group of equals. So we, because right now we literally, 
have no head, which means there's no leader. This is freaking, you know, Jocko's all about leadership. Now we have something with no leader. Are you kidding me? How's this even function? What are we doing? So I'm not always sure if extreme ownership is the right way to go. This is so bad that maybe extreme ownership is not even going to work here. That's where we're at, bro. God, when I exercise it too much, you know, I'm so freaking down for extreme ownership <laughs> that sometimes I exercise it too much. And, and you know what? They think I'm trying to take, they think I'm trying to take over. And I'm so freaking hot, default aggressive that they're thinking that I'm probably trying to take over. They look at me like I'm some kind of a upstart, like I'm the guy that's trying to make things happen. I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting, you know why I'm getting frustrated, Jocko? I'm getting frustrated, you know the deal, because the inability to make tactical and strategic decisions in a timely manner, because I know, jo- you know, bro, I hear you, bro. You can't even make tactical or strategic decisions in a timely manner, that's gotta just drive you crazy. I feel like it's turning into bureaucracy, and Jocko hates bureaucracies. So you can see the setup on this, right? You can see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And I'm going hard on my boy, on my brother from Ukraine, going hard in the pain a little bit. Here's what's going on, man. Um, what we wanna do when we're leading people, equals, superiors, subordinates, all of them. What we wanna do with all these people that we're trying to lead anywhere in the chain of command, doesn't matter if they're equal, doesn't matter if they're above you, doesn't matter if they're below you, doesn't matter. What we're trying to do is build a relationship with them we're trying to get them to trust us. We're trying to get them to respect us. We're trying to get to be able to influence them. And we're trying to get them to listen to us. What does this turn into? Trust, respect, respect, influence, listen. That's what we're trying to do. What is that? That's a relationship. How do we get people to do that? How do I get someone to trust me? I have to give them trust. How do I get someone to respect me? I have to treat them with respect. How do I allow, how do I get someone to be influenced by me? I need to allow them to influence me. How do I get someone to listen to me? I need to listen to them. So let's start with that premise. Is that we are trying to treat them with respect. Is pushing someone hard respecting them? No, it's not. Is, is uh, being aggressive? Is being aggressive towards someone? Is that treating them with respect? Is that, is that allowing them to influence you? If you're just trying to impose your influence on them? No, it's not. Here's, a, here's a, a new quote. You want a new Jocko quote? This, bro, Mr. Ukraine, I appreciate it. You got, you got me to come up with something new from a leadership perspective. You say, a good plan today is better than a great plan tomorrow, which is true. General Patton said it, and I believe it, and I support it. Let me tell you something else. A good plan that you shove down everyone else's throat today isn't as good as a plan that the team has ownership of and executes tomorrow. I'm gonna say that again. A good plan that you shove down everyone else's throat isn't as good as a plan that the team has ownership of and comes up with and creates in and believes in tomorrow. I know that's counterintuitive. But I would rather have my team come up with a plan themselves than have me need to impose the plan on top of them. We want to lead with the minimum force required. Again, it doesn't matter if it's my subordinates, it doesn't matter if it's my peers, my equals, it doesn't matter if it's my boss. I want to lead with the minimum force required. I don't want to have to, uh, what's the word here, make decisions for them. I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to make the plan. I don't want to have to push hard. In fact, if I'm pushing hard, I'm making a bunch of mistakes. No head. There's another thing. No head, no leader. Guess what? If you saw my platoon or you saw my task unit on a mission, mission, you might not think there was a leader there. And it would have been really hard in many cases for you to identify me as the leader at all because I didn't have to say anything because everyone understood what the mission is. Everyone understood why they were doing what they were doing. They understood what the parameters they were able to operate in. They understood what my intent was, and therefore I didn't have to say a damn thing. It happened. Extreme ownership doesn't mean control everything. doesn't mean that at all. You have to read the rest of the book. 
You have to read the Dichotomy of Leadership, which talks about this in detail. You have to read Leadership Strategy and Tactics because I wrote a freaking whole section in there for you. The name of the section is Don't Go Overboard Rambo. That's what the name of the section is. I'm going to read it to you. You want to be a leader. That's great. But don't be offensive about it. What does that mean? It means don't run around saying, I'm the leader. I'm in charge. Listen to me. I make all the decisions. This attitude will offend many people. And by the way, Mr. Ukraine, it has offended people. We know that. It is the equivalent of, look at me. I'm important and it doesn't go over well. Rambo might be a cool movie character, but charging out alone without regard for others doesn't work in a team environment. Saying, I'm the leader, follow me, can offend people's egos. In their minds, perhaps they are thinking you don't deserve to be in charge. There's a good chance they are even thinking that they are the one that should be in charge. So you barking at them that you are a leader is not a good idea. And when you do make some kind of a mistake, which you will, they will be ready to pounce on it. Leadership in most cases should be subtle. Of course, there are situations where bold and overt leadership is needed. I get that, Mr. Ukraine. I get it. If there's an emergency and no one's taking action, it's time to step up and take charge. I get it. If morale is down and the troops are stagnating and movement is needed, it's time to step up and lead from the front. But in everyday situations, i.e. in a church in Ukraine, usually overt leadership is not needed. It's better to give subtle directions and let the troops move forward based on their own ideas. And by the way, it's not just the troops, it's the peers, it's the leader above you. The same thing goes for mentoring and coaching. If you are looking to mentor or coach someone, be subtle about it. Many people may say they want to be coached or mentored but have a hard time when somebody actually steps up to do it because let's face it, there's an implicit message when you offer to coach or mentor someone. You are implying not only that the other person is lacking in some areas but also that you are better than they are. That can really bother people, especially if they have big egos. And unfortunately, the people with the biggest egos are the ones who need the most coaching. So you're in a little trap. So instead of outright telling someone that you're going to lead, coach, or mentor them, be subtler. Instead of, instead of, I'll tell you how to, I'll tell you how we're going to try and execute. Or sorry, I'll, instead of saying, I'll tell you how we are going to execute, try, how do you think we should execute? Instead of, let me coach you how you do that, try, can you explain why you do it that way? Instead of, I will mentor you, try, I would love to compare how you do things to how I do them. So there's a little clip of, of this section, which is don't go overboard, Rambo. I'm going to read a little bit more. Let's fast forward a little bit. When I think back to the best leaders I ever worked for, they were so incredibly subtle. Very rarely did they come right out and give direct orders stating exactly what to do and how to do it. The best leaders usually led not by orders, but by suggestion. As often as they could, they put their ideas out there and allowed us, the troops, to identify those ideas as the best and then move forward toward enacting their ideas through our own volition. This is an incredibly powerful way to lead, perhaps the most powerful. It instills incredible level of ownership into the troops because they all get the feeling that the ideas they are executing are actually their own. And by the way, oftentimes they are their own. They came up with a plan. Indirect leadership is almost, indirect leadership almost always trumps direct leadership. But notice that I said almost. There are also times when direct leadership is needed, usually during times of duress where critical and immediate decisions must be made. During those times, a leader stepping up and making calls is not only preferred, it's required. The same thing can happen during moments of indecision. If a team can't decide which way to go, if multiple ideas are being batted around and argued about, that is another time when a leader might need to step up and make a decision. In all these cases, because the leader has been restrained from constantly making decisions for the group, when he or she does step up and make a call, it will be respected. That is a stark contrast to the leader who constantly feels the need to make every decision, drive every choice, and be at the center of all conversations and conclusions. That leader's voice loses value because it's heard too often. So don't go overboard. Not as a leader, not as a mentor, not as a coach. Don't be Rambo. Instead, be as subtle as you can. So that's a little section of leadership strategy and tactics. 
And it's look, it's not a perfect correlation to the situation that you're in, but it definitely it definitely applies. It definitely applies. Here's the reality. You're not doing a good job. That's the reality. The reality is you're getting pushed back. The reality is you don't have good relationships. The, the reality is you have a, a, a reputation of be, being too hard and pushing too hard. That's the reality of what's happening. The reality is that you're getting frustrated. You are getting frustrated and I promise you that that frustration is bleeding through into your behavior and that will show. And none of these things are their problem. All of these things are your problem. That's what extreme ownership is. You asked, you said you're not sure if extreme ownership is the right thing in this situation. It is. But that extreme ownership is about you. It's about you focusing on building relationships. It's about you focusing on giving trust and giving respect and giving influence and listening to what people say. And by building relationships, actually getting to a point where you have influence over the people you're working with and that you can then work together to come up with a common plan and and a good plan that the whole team believes in. And you can come up with strategic and tactical decisions that actually make sense and move the whole team forward. Not based on what you think, but based on what the team thinks. That's extreme ownership. So take it. Echo Charles, any comments, any questions? No, that was... uh that was like interesting how the excerpt from the book literally like answers his question 100%. Yeah, that's that's why leadership strategy and tactics the book exists because I get asked these questions. Yeah. This is not this is not the, this is the this is the 10,000th person. Yeah. That's that's come across with this this type of situation. Yeah. They do have a some people do have a point when and I don't, they don't make this point, but it seems like they're implying this, that like I take extreme ownership and then later on you start to say it, it's there's nothing really extreme about it. Mm-hmm. Even though there is, I guess, if you dig deep enough, it's extreme meaning under all circumstances, you're taking responsibility for yes. the failure, right? All. Yes. Extreme. That's the only thing extreme. Everything else is dichotomy all day. Yeah. But I get it, though. Extreme ownership, right? Kind of feels that way. So I, I, I get it, to be honest with you. But, but that's why after further explanation, yeah. dichotomy. Well, well even the extreme ownership dichotomy, this was the last underground podcast that we did. We had the the female that was taking ownership of everything around. I'll, I'll run this. I'm going to run that. And yeah. no one else has left any ownership to take. So they don't feel like they're bought into the mission, which is that can absolutely happen. Yeah. I always thought or felt, and I could be wrong, but I always felt that that part of taking ownership was like almost the last kind of, almost didn't really apply. Like almost like that's not really, like ownership to me always felt like I'm taking responsibility for the problems so that I'll take responsibility for the solutions. For sure. Not I'm taking over the project. Yes. I'm Uh, taking lead. I'm taking charge. I never felt that subtle difference. But people do feel it. Yeah, people do feel it. It's taking ownership of what's happening. It's taking ownership of the result. And by the way, there are times if my platoon is doing a bad job, if they come up with a a plan that I see is tactically unsound, Mm -hmm. I have to take ownership and say, hey, fellas, here's what's going on. Let me ask you some questions about your plan. Right now, you got us patrolling through a valley that's surrounded on three sides by the enemy. Who thinks this is a good plan? And they go, oof, we didn't recognize that. If they say, no, we still want to do it that way, I might have to say, listen, well, we're, we're not doing it that way. Very seldom. I I never had to do that. Mm-hmm. I asked Leif two questions about his plan, and he'd be like, hey, I'm going to go change this. Yeah, yeah. It, he, he, he would miss something because he's freaking looking at it point blank all day, you know, from three inches away, studying the best way to approach it. And I come in at 10,000 feet, and I go, hey, what about this? And he goes, oh, yeah, check. Let me go make some adjustments. No factor. Yeah. No factor. I'm be honest. I, I I understand this guy. I kind of felt him. I, I, I get it, man. I get it, and I get that it's. I get that his heart is in the right place, yeah. right? He wants to take ownership, wants to make stuff happen. I get it. I hope he even listened to this whole thing. He might have just pressed stop. 
said, I'm going to, you know, uh, unsubscribe and burn my extreme ownership book. Right? I hope not. Right? Yeah. But I hope he's listening to just, you know, like, hey, man, I know, I get it, bro. You want things to go well. And you see it in your mind, you see the best solution. But the direct approach, go listen to the podcast that Dave Burke and I just did about the indirect approach. Good deal, Dave. Yes. Those podcasts, those will inform you about what this direct method that you're taking. The direct method that you're taking is it's the worst approach. It is World War One tactics. Charge and take casualties. That's what we're gonna do. That's what you're doing when you when you uh, try and impose your plan on people and you push them so hard. That's what you're doing. You're doing the direct approach and the direct approach does not function properly. It's a small uh, adjustment really at the end of the day. Like once you kind of make the realization, you're like, oh, it's a, it's a small adjustment because your motivation and your like fire is it's all there. But you just adjust the it. It's kind of like yeah, how JP I, said. I don't know if it's a small adjustment. Sometimes people need a legitimate like course correction. Yeah. Sometimes. What what JP said? Being aggressive isn't towards your people. It's oh, towards yeah, making sure. things happen. Like, well, I guess in a way that's a course correction. But yeah, I guess yeah. what I'm saying is like all what all that energy, all that attention that you're doing, just turn the the, the steering wheel over here. Then yep. you know. Be more balanced. Be more balanced for sure. All right, next question. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on etiquette for a low-level blue belt starting to train at a new gym after some time off? I re- I received my blue belt right before the pandemic started. By the time I am able to train again, I will have been off the mats of justice for a significant amount of time. Is it customary to start back at a white belt in the new gym? How would I how would that be handled at Victory? If I was a bit, if I was a higher level belt, I think I would have more confidence in my skills. But I recognize that in some gyms, a blue belt may be easier slash harder to earn than others, which creates a lot of overlap between higher level white belt and low level blue belt. In other words, I recognize I have a lot to learn, and I would want to be respectful of the gym I was entering and the students and professors there. That's an interesting question, right? Yeah. What's your opinion? Uh, my opinion. Well, for he did ask what we we do at Victory. You come in with the belt that you were given by mm-hmm. your professor, hundred yeah. percent. And I, I get that he's sensitive. In fact, it, to me, it's impressive and very respectable that he cares about this. This, but the reality is, when you come in with a blue belt on, cool. Like, yeah, yeah. and the only way someone's <laughs> gonna be like, "Why are you wearing that blue belt?" is if you don't know what mount is. Yeah. You don't know. You know, like. A high-level white belt, blue belt, mid-level blue, like it's all kind of, there's a lot of overlap, so no one's going to care. There's a wide range of skill level between medium, two-stripe white belt and two-stripe blue belt, right? There's yeah. a huge, there's there's overlap all over the place. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So A two-stripe white belt can submit a two-stripe blue belt. Oh, yeah. Factually, yeah. So in some, in times, some cases, and sometimes you get a, a athletic two stripe white belt, three stripe white belt, athletic. Maybe did a lot of wrestling or something. He's gonna be like, he's gonna be good training partner for like a purple belt situation. Yep. Sometimes, so yep. once he learns, that, yeah, once he's a two stripe and he understands that keep his arms in and not yeah. go to, yeah, he's a good train, great training partner for the purple belt. Yeah. So the the point is, man, huge respect for caring about this mm. or whatever. But the good news is, no, keep your blue belt. Congratulations on the blue yeah, belt. Congrats. Hold, a, you know, keep it. And man, I feel your pain too on the inside, bro. Like. Sometimes when you have, we talked about this the other day or whatever, when you come in, you have an off day or you're rusty because you haven't been in a while or out of shape and you just jump in with your same training partners or whatever and they just rag you around and you're mm-hmm. like, bro, why do I even have this belt anymore? Mm-hmm. I should go back to white belt already. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that happens at all belt levels. So, yeah. man, I, that's nor- that's a normal thing. I think. Dean Lister made me want to give, give up my black belt the other day. Yeah. Turn it into a, what's less than a, a clear belt <laughs> with no color. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sh- shouldn't be. Um, yeah, I-, I would just keep keep the belt, and people will be cool. And I don't think it's a no factor. Remember when Ensign Inouye gave up his black belt? Yep, I do. And didn't he? He demoted himself to purple belt. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Which was an interesting move. 
And he's like, yeah. hey, I hadn't trained in a while, whatever, you know? So, gave, but then people were kind of like, hey man, you got that from your professor. Yep. So now you're saying your professor isn't right about your skill level? And he, and so eventually he was like, yeah, you know what? I earned my black belt, I am a black belt. And he put his black belt back on, right? Something like that, yeah. yeah. It was, it was, and yeah, and that was when I think we even went over that, right? Maybe on a grounded or something like that. Yeah, probably. Where we talked about that yeah, idea, yeah. and it's true. And I, this is just in my experience, like I, but I believe this to be factually true, where it doesn't matter what belt you think you are, because that can be, get so warped. Yeah. Like I know guys who are like freaking. Oh yeah, I should. I, I should, should be, be a black, a black belt. belt. <laughs> I'm like, bro, that's. A, not only do you have a massive chance of being wrong <laughs> in whatever way, it's not up to you. It's up to your professor yeah. or professors, you know. Yeah. So it goes the other way too. Like it's a t- kind of a, it goes in the other direction is what I'm saying. So, yeah, if you're like, man, I don't deserve this blue belt. Meanwhile, your professor, the guy who's teaching you, evaluating you, all this stuff, you're prevented with detached, by the way. He doesn't mm-hmm. have your ego. He doesn't have your doubts. He doesn't. Have, he's looking at you and gives you a blue belt. Mm-hmm. And you feel rusty after a year, I get it. And you, you're basically disagreeing with that guy. It's like, mm. you know, yeah, it starts to make a, a lot less sense, I yeah. think. Uh, here's the bottom line. Go start training. Get back on the mats of justice. Yeah, huh. That's it, right? And you, and it's funny, you gave me that that advice on more than one occasion, by the way. And it, and it started to make sense where how it works, you know? If it's like, bro, if you don't think you deserve that belt, don't return the belt. Don't adjust the belt. Adjust your skill. <laughs> yes. You see what I'm saying? And I was like, oh, man, yeah. Yeah, that's Trade how it works. On. Yep. Right on. Next question. Next question. Thanks for all you do. I wish I had this knowledge 20 years ago. We all do. <laughs> to the question, how do you balance the strategic goal versus the lack of financial outcome needed in the career you love? to provide for that long-term goal. I've moved to a more prosperous career thanks to my experience and knowledge, but it still doesn't compare to the career I loved. FFEMT-B. Firefighter. Hell yeah. EMT. Um, for one thing, are, are these things mutually exclusive, right? So can you not have your new career, your prosperous career, and be a volunteer firefighter? Can you not, you know, like what can you do to still get that passion and fulfill that part of your natural proclivity to that job what can you do to get there right can you be a volunteer firefighter can you figure out um you know where can you volunteer where can you make things happen so that's that's one thing can you make enough look that's part that's like part one that's like day one cool you know what i need to become a volunteer i need to get a pager back or whatever back in the day for me when you're in a volunteer firefighter you got a pager Hell yeah. you got a pager. pager and it was like oh we're like the siren everyone can hear the siren why do you need a pager because <laughs> so anyways you you get you know maybe become a volunteer figure that out um that's like step one and you know and if it's not you know like me well, i don't know how old you are but what can you join the Army reserves, you know, like can you go join the National Guard so you still have that part of your life that is that is uh, the life of service and helping people. Can you do that? So that's cool. That's like step one to me. Step two also, can you can you make enough money in your new prosperous career that you can do it for two years or three years and then go back to your old job? Can you make enough money right now and do the proper investments that you can go back to your more prosperous job or so you can go back to the job that you like can you buy some real estate now and start to make some money can you do some side gigs can you set up some side gigs now so that in the future you can be a firefighter and you have some alternative income streams can you go back to your job as a firefighter and start a company where you are I mean I know a lot of firefighters and a lot of firefighters have side gigs because of your work schedule, can you do something like that where you can make some extra money and be prosperous financially? I think those are the options that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, I do I do think it is important to be doing something that you like doing, and it's even better if you can do something that you love doing. I also think you gotta think about you know your financial situation. So how can we find balance on those? Those are kind of some of the ideas I had. Volunteer, 
reserves, making some money, figuring out some side gigs that you could go back to doing what it is you really like to do. That's what I got. Thanks for your service. I feel like that's that's like that's not a rare conundrum. Yeah. Someone yeah. like, do I do it for the money or do it for the love kind of thing? And it's like, you know, it's a little bit of a, a switch off a little mm-hmm. bit, you know. A little trade off, a little dichotomy. Yeah, man. Gotta balance. Too good. All right, next question. Jocko, I'm a leader within a large company, and over the years I've noticed certain attitudes and behaviors from colleagues that have always rubbed me the wrong way. For example, colleagues often brag about working directly for someone multiple steps above them in the company about roles above their pay grade that they temporarily filled, or by describing times where they have directed or tasked someone tasked someone senior to them. Further, further. Many in the company are afraid to ask for help for fear of being seen as less competent and ridiculed for something they, quote unquote, should know how to do. I believe these issues reflect a culture of hubris within the organization. We have we've had a few significant mishaps in recent years, and it is my perspective that these incidents were caused in part by this culture. How can I approach this in a company where I lead only a small fraction is there a way to address what seems to be such an endemic problem? <clears throat> Tempted to go hard in the paint like I went on the Ukraine on this one, but I'm, not, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna back off a little bit because I, I feel like that's that's not the best approach. It was, it's not the best approach to talk to my brother from the Ukraine. <laughs> it's not the best yeah. approach because you can see out of the gate, it's like, it's a, it's a little bit of a setup, right? Hey, I got these people that brag about working directly. You know, like no one likes that person. Jocko doesn't like the person that's bragging, right? Yeah, almost like they're automatically in yeah. the wrong, and yeah. I'm automatically. Yeah. Jocko okay. doesn't like the person that um, described t- times when they've directed or tasked someone. See, like what a jerk! What a big ego they have. Mm-hmm. In fact, we're going to talk about we have a culture of hubris, mm-hmm. which obviously, um, you know, this anti, you know, ego. <laughs> And and then the whole thing is like these attitudes rub me the wrong way, mm-hmm. which is an interesting way of saying like, you know, these bad things, they don't jive with me because I'm kind of good. good. Yeah. So I don't want to go hard in the paint like I just. <laughs> <laughs> so let's make sure that we're not letting our our ego get offended by someone else's ego, right? Isn't it weird that I allow it if Echo comes in and says, I actually told the boss what to how to run that. Isn't it weird that that bothers me that you said that? Yeah. Is that your oh, ego that's the problem or is that my ego that's the problem? Yeah. Who does that guy think he is? Yeah, fully. And I'm sorry, I, I actually, to be honest, it doesn't sound weird. I feel I feel that. Like when someone else is like, but put it this way, it's not weird, it's natural. But now I know. <laughs> that that would be, an, it, that would be a waste. Yeah. So it's insecurity. When Echo comes to me and says, I actually came up with a plan and told the boss what to do. When you say that to me, it's just, a, it's just you revealing some of your insecurity and revealing some of your ego. And if I let it bother me, that's just revealing my insecurity and my ego to myself. That's what it's doing. It's like, hey, this is your ego talking. So... Don't do that. So how do we influence a company like this? How do we how do we make change in a company like this? It's the same answer I just gave. We build good relationships with people. We build trust. We build respect. We build influence. We listen to them. They listen to us. We ask good, earnest questions of when something's happening. We and what the reason we're asking good, earnest questions is because we want the truth to be revealed, but we don't want to stab people in the eye with the truth. We want them to figure out what the truth is. That's what we want. We want the truth to be revealed to people themselves because it is when it is um, organic to them, it is much more acceptable. The truth from an external source is painful and is makes us defensive. Yeah. The truth from the internal is accepted. So we want to try and plant the seed and reveal the truth from inside someone's own head. So, so what does that look like? Where am I going with that? Um, Echo makes a decision that I think is based on his ego. And I say, hey, Echo, can you talk me through why you want to do it this way? Mm. And Echo says, well, because it's the best plan. Okay, yeah, no, I get that it's the best plan. I just, I, I'm the one that's going to be down there executing it. So if you could just talk to me why you want it done this way, I just want to make sure I understand what your intent is. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, I want it this way because it's the best way. Okay, but 
why did you want A and B? He said, well, A and B are the best ways to go about this procedure. Mm. Hey, just, I'm sure you know this, but if we just did C, it would cover both A and B and it'd be a shorter timeline. Is, that, is there a reason you don't want to go with C? And he said, well, you know, I, I was thinking about using C. <laughs> And I said, well, I actually know how to, I've got some experience doing C. I can, if you want me to run that, I mean, it's your call, obviously, but I can do A and B, but C is probably going to be quicker. Probably be, I mean, the boss would be pretty, probably pretty impressed with your decision of going with C if you want me to do that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So we're pulling the threads where you realize that this was just your ego that makes the call, and I give you an out. Yeah. I give you an out that's still your call, it's still your decision. Um, so that's what we're going to do. We're gonna build these relationships. We're gonna, when, we, when we build relationships, the ego starts to diminish. Especially if we're not having an ego ourselves. Especially if we're not looking at people as if they're a problem, as if they have a big ego. If I treat people like they have a big ego and I'm better than them, guess what, who has the big ego? If I'm sitting there saying, I'm the most humble person I know, right? Yeah, what the, the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so be careful of that. How else can you approach this in a company where you only lose a small fraction? You make your little world as ideal as you possibly can. You build the good relationship. You build the team. You stay humble as a team. You work together humbly. You support each other. You cover and move for each other. You keep things simple. You prioritize and execute. You use decentralized command. You, you foster good teamwork. You support each other. You keep your egos in check. And as you do that, your team starts to perform really well. That's what happens. And as your team starts to perform really well, you get a bigger team. And as your team eventually grows and starts to do even better and you keep that attitude and you keep that, that, that humility, and then guess what? They promote you and now you're in charge of two teams. And now you're having more influence and you, start, you continue to do well and you continue to grow and you continue to get more responsibility and you keep your ego in check and you continue to grow and eventually you'll have a massive amount of influence inside the company and at a bare minimum, at a bare minimum, the people that are in your realm will be having an awesome time in their world. And it's only natural that when people are happy with what they're doing, they work, they're working hard, they're supporting each other, they're humble, those are the teams that do well and those are the teams that perform well and therefore they're the ones that grow. And the leaders of those teams are the ones that move into more senior leadership positions. So that's what we got. Stay humble. There's a part in there that you talk about it a lot. And actually this is kind of more of a question than anything mm-hmm. but you know the, the part in there he said that um people are scared to ask for help because they're going to view it as oh, yeah, um, you should know this yep. already right um so you know and it totally it makes sense right given the picture that he painted that everyone's like really like bragging and you know really into themselves kind of a thing and so that would seem unsurprising that he would expect them to be like, oh, you should know this, almost like a dig at their their level of knowledge and skill or whatever. And it seems natural, like how you guys always say, that like it's like counterintuitive where it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, if you're the leader, you kind of should know everything, right? And then it's not necessarily like that. In fact, they'll respect you more if you need help and you ask for help or whatever. Right. And the same thing, like in jujitsu, it's like that too, where, but, but I will feel this. That's the thing that makes it, hey, this is understandable, where... If I don't know, okay, let's say I jump in the class or whatever, and the mm-hmm. instructor, I have a black belt. The instructor has a black belt as well, and the instructor is teaching a move, like some De La Hiva or something mm-hmm. like that, that I don't really play. And so I go to practice it with my partner, and I'm, like, doing it wrong and all this stuff, and I kind of get that feeling like, oh, man, I'm a black belt. Shouldn't I, like, know this? Because mm-hmm. I, I don't. I'm using the wrong leg. Yeah. It's like <laughs> that level of not knowing this particular move, and I feel that. But then you're kind of like, well, no, like every black belt doesn't know every move in every plane, and mm-hmm. then are good at it, you know? So then when you do ask for help or whatever, you'd be surprised how like happy a black belt will help another black belt oh, for with sure. a move they don't know. For and sure. It's, and it's not like, oh, you're a black belt. You should know this. Never, ever. Even someone with a huge ego that like might even say something like that as a dig on the inside, they're still just happy to help, yeah. you know, to help with the knowledge. So I think your point is, and I, I'm sorry that I missed that part of the question of, of um, 
you know, or at least not really part of the question, but it's a comment in there that requires an answer. To help in that situation, you do what Echo Charles just talked about, which is you model the correct behavior, right? That you, you're the one that says, hey, you know what, I'm not, actually not sure how to do this. And everyone starts to say, wow, that, that person's humble and they're asking a question and yeah. they, I actually, my respect level for them goes up. And even if they outwardly are like, you should know that, Fred. Yeah. Inside, they're like, man, I, I actually didn't know that. And yeah. so we start to break down these barriers of ego, which again, is the long-term win. Here's another th- way that it could go, I think, and I'm just look, thinking of it in terms of jujitsu or whatever that I kind of mentioned where you just got to suck it up. Like your ego has to suck this teeny tiny part up for the the massive benefits. And that is if they have an ego and say, oh, you should know this, you know, if you can suck that part up, just suck it up yep. and be like, oh, man, you're right. But hey, I do need help. Even if they have a big, big enough ego to say that thing to you, that little dig, yeah. I think they'll be happy to help oh, you because they, they can demonstrate. Oh, they can demonstrate how awesome they are. Oh yeah, you can you can give them a little ego massage, and that helps yeah. your relationship with them. By the way, and yeah. the more you help your relationship with them, the more influence you have over them. Exactly, which exactly is what right. we're trying to do. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna say. Like, in, in if. That's a good thing if they feel all, all happy to express or to demonstrate how smart and how good they are to teach you who should have known this, you know, and and they they're really going to take pride in that. That's a good thing on many levels. Not only do you get their best performance most of the time, their best instruction, their best whatever, um, you kind of do build a little relationship. Mm-hmm. You know how like it's a weird thing. I think I think it's in psychology, like a, a trick you can pull. Not all the time, but it's like a, one of the tactics is like if you want someone to like you, you ask them to do you a favor, yep. like a real doable favor. Yep, yep. And I guess that's the part of the brain or ego that it like massages is like, oh, he came to me because, of course, I'm the expert. Hell, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll do that for you. And it gives them a boost, you know, build a little relationship right there. Mm-hmm. Put trust in them. They'll put trust in you. Yeah. But you do have Treat to suck them up with that respect. one part. Yeah, well, of course. Well, that's the that's the crazy thing about the crazy thing about trust. The crazy thing about trust, about respect, about influence, and about listening is each one of those things. In order to give it, you have to put your ego in check. I if I have to treat you with respect, I have to put my ego in check. You know, echoes echoes another black belt. I gotta I gotta respect that. I gotta put my ego in check. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to listen to what you have to say, I can't say Echo doesn't know how to do a De La Hiva. Yeah. I've got to put my ego in check and say, you know what? Echo's got a really good mount escape. It's better than mine, which is a factual thing. You've got a really good mount escape. But if I can't put my ego in check to listen to how you explain it and respect the area of expertise that you have, right? Why would you give it back to me? Yeah. Right? But if I go, hey, man, can you go over that mount escape again? You kind of like me more. Hell yeah. And you, when you, when, then you might say, hey, can you go over that guillotine with me one more time? <laughs> right? Because you were mutually, it's a mutual relationship. It's mutually supporting. Mm. And that's what we want. Pretty happy with that guillotine, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> there are days and days. <laughs> <laughs> there are days and days. All right. Uh, that's it for tonight. Thanks for thanks for hanging out with us. Appreciate it. You know the deal. Jockofuel.com, originusa.com, jockostore.com, echelonfront.com. On the interwebs, you you know where we're at. At Echo Charles, at Jocko Willink. And thank you for thank you for supporting us. You know why we're doing this and we appreciate it. And we will keep we'll keep the underground free and open no matter what happens. Until next time, Zeko and Jocko, out.